Hello, language enthusiasts, and welcome to The Language Worker, a space to talk about the people involved in the language business in a broad sense. I'm interested in finding out how their training, work experience, and their passion for languages has shaped our guests' professional and, of course, personal lives. Join me on this journey to explore the multiple and unpredictable paths one can follow when we are involved in the magical world of languages. On this episode, we will understand how Susie, who is now a freelance French to English translator, worked her way back into languages after working in the IT sector for many years and how this decision has changed the way she lives her life. Hi, everybody. So today I have the pleasure of talking to Susie, let's say, Withers. Is this is how perfect. you say it? Okay, perfect. thank you so much. <laughs> so I've been interested in Susie's work for a long time, I can say now. First, I saw her on an interview with Adrian. I'm sure you're all familiar with him. And then uh, she was in an interview with Kim. I've also uh, recorded an interview with her and she's amazing and great. And then we actually met on a um, networking event. I think it was, here comes the English name again, Karina Farrell. Not yes, sure if you pronounce yes, it, like I this. remember that. Yeah. Yes. So there you were. <laughs> so let's say that I kind of heard a little bit about you in those three occasions, which was really nice. But I, you know, this is my turn to actually ask a few more questions <laughs> and find out a little bit more about you. I will start by saying that you have been an inspiration, uh, especially when it comes to social media. And as you know, I'm always talking about it. You were the person who inspired me to start working with Canva. And <laughs> oh, wow. yes, 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 we had a discussion about carousels. <laughs> of course, over we did. So, if you could just present yourself and talk a little bit uh, about yourself, and then I'll start with the questions. Okay, um, I'm Susie Withers. I'm a freelance French to English translator specializing in marketing and e learning. I'll keep it simple, I could go on forever about my specialization. Um, and I've been freelancing for just coming up to three years now after a very long career in IT in financial services. So a complete career change. And I actually became a translator at the age of 47. So hmm. a late bloomer, you might say. Yeah, that's that's great. I've, I've been a late bloomer in many things and I think they're probably my best work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've done a lot of... Um, things that I'm really proud of later in life you know mm -hmm. I think you just as you as you mature you just realize what's important and what you want to do and you just go for it yes I'd say age is a blessing trust me everybody anyways <laughs> I guess I, I could start by asking you what your relationship was with foreign languages growing up because being a native English speaker is probably a little bit different than for the rest of us outside of the English-speaking countries, right? Yeah, very much so, I think. Um, yeah, I started learning French at the age of 11, as I think, um, I think it's still the case that when you start secondary school in the UK, um, you start learning a foreign language. It might be French, it might be Spanish, it might be German. But in many cases, it's French. Um, I just found that I had a knack for it. I was good at it. 
um, I'm a natural mimic. So I hear a sound and I can imitate it. Mm. So I was just naturally good at, at pronouncing the French words and realizing that, okay, the letters, I recognize the letters, it all looks fine, but actually I know that I need to pronounce this differently. I don't pronounce it with my English brain, I mm -hmm. have to switch. So Amazing. I just seem to have a knack for doing that. I continued to study. Um, I went and studied French at university and I got to spend a year in France, living in France, which was... Uh, you actually lived there, so that is... Really I actually cool. lived there. <laughs> it was the best year of my life. <laughs> I was um, supposed to be teaching English as, a, as an English assistant in a school, um, but I was mostly just having a great time. Hmm. And practicing your French, obviously. And practicing my French, <laughs> immersing myself in in French and in the French culture. So yeah, that totally makes a lot of difference. Even if my history with English is, I started it earlier, but then I only went to uh, an English speaking country when I was much much older. So my English was already the way it is, basically. Uh, but what it gave me, obviously, was knowing how to use it in different contexts and learning a lot of vocabulary that was necessary for real life, right? Rather than yeah, life exactly, at school. <laughs> exactly. Life at school, very mm. different, the things that you learn. And I think that spending that time in the country, it really, um, what was I going to say? I've lost my thread. <laughs> You'll get there, I'm sure. Um, I think I learned more in that one year of living in France than I had learned at school and at university prior to that. Because of course you had all of that already stored in your brain and you had the chance to actually use yeah, it. So it kind of feels that it. you learned a lot. Yeah, you just bring it to life <laughs> yes, suddenly. exactly. But it's already there, right? The situation, yeah, it's already there. Because I, I, I was like puzzled when I was looking at your, your list of jobs that you've had and... I realized that you studied French. Your BA is in French. And I was a bit surprised because I was not expecting that because I already knew you were translated from French into English. But I thought that the French thing came from other sources and <laughs> that you didn't really uh, go to school for that specifically. So I'm trying to understand how it happened that you actually uh, did all your school thing and then decided to go to university for French, which is pretty unusual, probably being British, I think. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but then you actually didn't work in the language world uh, immediately, right? You went on to your business analyst's life. <laughs> I did, yeah. Curious, isn't it? Yes. Um, and a source of much regret over the years. Um, well, I started out, I finished my degree and I thought I, I want to go and live in a French-speaking country and use my languages. Yes. And actually I did for a year. I, I worked in Brussels mm -hmm. um, and I was operating in both French and English. I worked for a European organization um, for air traffic control. It was a, a great, a great job. But during that time, I went through a relationship breakup, which kind of made me lose my way a bit and I returned to the UK and from that point on I thought oh, I just need to get a job a graduate level job and because my degree had a component of IT I thought well IT is obviously a good uh, at that time in the sort of mid-90s IT was uh, growing a lot so I thought well I'll go into IT 
-hmm. And it just happened. I, I just put the French on the back burner, but it was always there. It was always niggling in the background saying, why aren't you using your French? This is the thing that you're best at. This is the thing that you excel at. Why aren't you doing this? Um, and I just got drawn into the corporate world um, and you know, climbing the corporate ladder. I thought about translation a lot. I thought about teaching and mm -hmm. I thought about translation. I thought I can't be a teacher. I can't possibly stand up in front of a group of teenagers who will make me cry and I'll have to <laughs> run away. So um, I thought, well, would I it be that up. dramatic? <laughs> yes, yeah, that, that was my impression that they would right. just make me cry. I wouldn't be able to cope with it. So I thought, well, there's translation, but I've only got one language that I'm really good at, and that's French. I can't be a translator because you need to know lots of languages to be a translator. Mm. That was my perception. Of course. I know now that that's wrong, but certainly for in house positions, which I felt more comfortable with. I thought, oh, I'm going to need to have more than one language. I'm, I'm never going to get to the same level with another language as I am with French. So I kind of talked to myself out of it for a long time. With false excuses. <laughs> with false excuses, as we often do. Yeah. Because I was scared. I was scared mm -hmm. to, to do something different. Um, and I didn't know. I didn't really know that you could... I thought, well, I can't be a freelancer. I can't possibly have my own business and find clients. Yeah. There's no Why way would you? I do that. <laughs> so yeah, I just I just created my own barriers um, and carried on my corporate way and thought, this is not fulfilling me. This is not a rewarding thing that I'm doing here. I'm just contributing to a financial services company. It's not making me feel good about myself. And it's not using some of the potential that I have. So, yeah. It took me a long time, but I finally decided to do the diploma, the CIOL Diploma in Translation. Mm -hmm. um, and after that, I started thinking about becoming a freelancer, and it took me a long time. But finally, during the pandemic, mm -hmm. an obvious time to start a business, I, <laughs> I started my freelance journey. Mm -hmm. So what was your approach given the fact that you were not involved <laughs> in yeah. anything related to this uh, language industry in any possible way. We had been a teacher, but that was long ago. And what happened? What, what was happened? your train of thought to actually come um, to contact well, clients? Yeah, so I I did my diploma. I joined Prose mm -hmm. well, many years ago. I joined Prose, but didn't really. I sort of looked in the forums, tried to work out how to approach things. But it was really when there was a pros Facebook group that started a few years ago. I think it had been going for a while, but there was a new moderator who came along and kind of um, enlivened it a bit and made it a bit more interactive and engaging. So I joined this Facebook group before I became a freelancer while I was still working. And I was just, I just hung out in the group observed what people talked about, observed what they talked about in terms of rates, in terms of practices, in terms of agencies, processes. I just absorbed all of that information. I, I never posted anything for a long time in that group. I cannot but even I believe that. <laughs> no, I, I see you as a great poster. <laughs> um, but I, I guess I was in an environment where I didn't feel like I knew what was going on. 
So I had to learn. And that was, that was kind of what I did when I, when I went to France at first. I spent the first few months just kind of taking it all in and observing and listening. And, and then when I felt confident, I started contributing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I would, you know, it's a very supportive group. It was, it was a private group, so it wasn't, you know, you weren't discussing things publicly. You could, you could ask stupid questions, as it were. Um, and I just absorbed a lot of information from there. And I thought, I think someone shared, you know, a, a document saying 10 steps to becoming a freelance translator or, or <laughs> you know, getting started. You know, there were right. lots of tips about getting started. So, so off I went and I, I really used prose at the beginning because mm-hmm. of the, the huge directory of agencies in there. Right, looking right. through, checking their reputation, checking what translators were saying about them. Um, seeing if I thought they fit with with me, you know, if 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 I could help them with their their mission, um, and just doing a lot of cold outreach. That was how I got my first clients. It was just mm-hmm. emailing speculative emails. I'm a translator. I'd like to help you out. Blah blah blah. So you mean agencies, right? That was agencies, your first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that was my first. Um, and how did that go? <laughs> Um, it took a while <laughs> to get going. It took a while to, to persuade an agency that someone with no experience um, <laughs> could come in and, and translate. I mean, I have my diploma and that it is an internationally recognised qualification mm-hmm. and it, it is a way to get in the door. Um, I think if I hadn't had the diploma, it would have been harder. But I think I also try to really personalise my applications so it wasn't just hello I am a translator it was looking at them trying to talk their language Mm -hmm. to um, make them understand how what what I could do would fit with the way they work Mm -hmm. so did you use your background in you know your professional life in the corporate yeah yeah I said you know I've got all of this background in IT I understand the vocabulary in this domain um, you know, I, I've worked in businesses. I understand how businesses work. I think I completely underestimated actually how relevant that stuff is. You mm-hmm. know, I, I write a lot of, uh, I translate a lot of internal communications. Now, having worked in a corporate environment, I've been the receiver of internal communications. I know what they look like. I know what, what phrasing is used and you know, the tone of voice and things like that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I underestimated how important that experience was and how useful it was. But I I emphasised it when talking to, because that's all I had, apart from some voluntary translation work, which Mm. I didn't mention. Um, One of the first translations I did was voluntary work for an NGO. Mm -hmm. What that gave me was a letter of, a sort of reference letter that I could then go and, and present to agencies and say, look, I've done some translation work for this organization, mm-hmm. plus all of my past experience, plus my diploma. Mm-hmm. What do you reckon? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's very interesting that you, of course, you used what you had from your companies and all of that stuff, people you worked for. But the thing is, because you are an English speaker, uh, you're not in the usual position that most of most of us with other languages are, where we actually already translate 
So because we receive documents in English and then many times it's part of our job, even if we don't work as translators, to actually translate the document or the content into our native languages. So if you're an English speaker, I'm always thinking about that, um, how people who speak English, being English what it is, how they actually pay attention to languages in such a way that it becomes their work. Because it's almost like a different situation for English speakers and for everybody else, right? Because I guess the vast majority of translators translate from English into their native language. And yeah, I think it's amazing. The, yeah, there's so much English content out there hmm. that is available to people all over the world. Um, and obviously, being an English speaker, I don't have to think about that. You know, I don't have to um, translate it for my own purposes. But mm -hmm. I think we do, in the UK, for example, um, we do have access to foreign films mm -hmm. um, and we never dub them. So we do hear foreign mm -hmm. languages right. um, with subtitles. Um, there's a lot more available now, but, you know, there are independent cinemas that show foreign films. There are lots of um, series like um, drama series that come over that we're that we can watch on television. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, there is foreign language stuff out there available, mm. and and obviously you people from the UK certainly they travel a lot. They travel to foreign countries mm. because they want sunshine. <laughs> yes, I'm Portuguese. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so they want sunshine and yes we're you know, one of the famous countries that they go to especially in the Algarve it's been going on for probably 50 years yeah, or so that yeah. it's it's common in the Algarve to have like a community of British people come over and people live here now for decades and decades and sometimes you go places and there's not even any information in Portuguese only in English because of course uh, it it's such a relevant community. I myself, yeah. when I go to the Algarve, I go to a restaurant when they where they serve uh, Anglo-Saxon inspired food, <laughs> and everybody just speaks English. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that's normal. not that's not a great side of 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 it. Um, and you know, it's it's quite annoying to see that when people do go and live abroad, that they don't necessarily. Um, get involved in the local culture and, and learn the language but I don't think that that's not everyone not everyone oh I know for sure and also we it seems like yes. we we other people who want to speak our English <laughs> we just don't give English speakers a chance sometimes to actually practice the oh, local yes. language yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you've one. suffered yeah. with that yes. <laughs> yeah um I think people do want to practice their English because English is is so widespread in the world mm -hmm. That's kind of understandable. I did have an interesting situation in Italy. I visited the north of Italy and I tried to speak Italian, but they thought I was German. So they, they responded in German and I was like, hold on a minute. <laughs> My Italian's not great. My German is even worse. So let's not, let's not do this. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's one of the problems. But I think I think there that we are interested in other cultures. We're on our little island, but we're not completely isolated. We like to travel. We like to um, learn about other countries and visit other countries. Mm -hmm. Yes, you sure do. <laughs> but yeah, we. I, ju I was just told that the British community is just growing and growing in Portugal. And so I know it's one of the places of interest <laughs> for British people. So you have to come. Have you visited? 
I've never been to Portugal, I have to say. Mm. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I'm not against it. I would absolutely <laughs> I have to be against it. I have to learn some um some Portuguese first. I'll get my yes. few if, if you come, <laughs> I will make an effort not to speak English. <laughs> because for me it's an effort, I have to say. But of well, course, yeah, I mean I can't I, I can't imagine, you know. I do speak French and I practice my French regularly in, in various um, Zoom groups and things, but speaking it all day long in the way that, you know, my translation colleagues speak English all day long when it's mm -hmm. not their first language, it, it's yep. just extraordinary. And <laughs> I'm always, I'm always in awe of the way that so many of my colleagues just write and speak in English all the time. And um, with me, I have to make a special effort to speak mm. and write in French. Yeah, I guess just just the context of the world and not really <laughs> anything yeah. else is just yeah. how you have to do it for now because of course all languages now have a lot more investment and interest from everybody so I guess it will be a little bit more balanced in a few years or so but for now it is what it is and at least I am happy with it sorry <laughs> <laughs> so this huge change I mean I guess it was a huge change because I suppose you worked in an office or in several offices and you work in big companies with a lot of people because at least that was my situation even working in the um, language industry but I've always worked yeah. for big companies so what happened to Susie when all of a sudden <laughs> all of that was just outside and you were at home or in your office doing your work yeah I think the main the main thing that the thing that I miss from working in, in the corporate world, in the office, was the fact that every day to get to work, I walked. To get around the office, I walked. To go out and get something to eat at lunchtime, I walked. Mm -hmm. I just, there was movement, natural movement built in to my day. Whereas now, I walk down the stairs, I come in here. I mean, I'm standing up at the moment. That's one, one effort I'm making to, <laughs> to not be sitting down all day. Right. Um, but I really have to make a um, deliberate effort mm -hmm. to actually to go out. Um, I sometimes run in the uh, first thing in the morning, um, but often I'm sitting here or standing here all day and I realize at the end of the day I haven't moved and I have to go out for a walk because I cannot not go outside during mm -hmm. the day. So that, that's really the, it's the, the physical movement aspect. I think um, I have such a, a network of colleagues that I talk to on messaging systems that I Zoom with. I don't feel isolated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of the, the community on LinkedIn to me, these are my colleagues and I'm chatting to them. You know, when you put a comment on a post, you're, you're just having a chat with, with a colleague. Um, it just happens to be public, <laughs> everyone can see it. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, think, I think it's really the, the physical aspect of it. But it's true that, you know, going and, and chatting to people in person, um, it, it, it can be a little bit lonely, but there are ways around it. I have been to some co-working um, yes. sessions with with a local network. And, mm -hmm. So and you physically go somewhere? Physically go somewhere, mm -hmm. like a cafe or a library. Um, you'll bring your laptops along and you work and you chat as you work. And, that, and that's a really nice thing to do. 
Yeah, what I did, I I'm exactly the same. I mean, when I I I was still in the corporate world when I started working from home because I had a baby and all that stuff. So I never went back to the office after the whole pandemic situation. And but I got to a point where I thought I was gonna die for sitting at home the whole day and being in there in that space only. So I just decided to rent an office <laughs> because I cannot bring myself to go to the gym or to run or any of those things. It just doesn't feel natural to me. I already know I'm not going. So that's what I did. The advantage of this is that every now and then I invite people to come over because I'm actually, I'm, I don't live in Lisbon. I live in a place called Leiria and it's a smaller town, I'd say 150 kilometers away from Lisbon up north. Uh, so it's exactly the center of the country. And so there's a few people who come over and I have a lot more room than I need, <laughs> I have to say, especially now that I'm building the, the booth and I'm here stuck all day because I'm happy here and testing things and all that. So I have a huge office with two rooms that it's just outside wow. this door and I do use it. So every now and then I just invite people to come over and it's been amazing. So I'm happy with the extra room because I can invite people to come over because I was suffering from exactly that same problem of just being at home and not having a reason to move, to travel, to get in the car, to walk, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. So, no, we would make, I would make excuses and say, oh, we need some milk or we need a cake or something so just so that I could have you know walk up to and not to the closest shop to a shop that's like a mile and a half away mm, um, so that exactly. I get a decent walk in you know because I've been a, a freelancer before but I was a, a, a freelancer for about six years. But the thing is, I was a freelancer in California and that meant that I worked at least 90% of the time on site. So I would go directly to the office from whomever hired me and I would right. just spend time there. So <laughs> my experience now that I decided to go solo again is totally different because now I'm really on my own. And yeah. um, if I don't make an effort to do things, things will not happen. Even, you know, renting an office, making sure you have furniture and chairs and <laughs> anything you need. It's just yeah. an extra effort that I'm trying to make also to bring myself to the world again. Yeah. So, so about this uh, co-working situation that you have with people, do you have like also designated places where you would meet with like a larger group or is it more of a one-on-one -on -one thing? Um, it's it's usually about up to say six people. Mm. Who, oh wow! It's that is like good. A, yeah, yeah, um, and um, usually in a library. Uh, mm. That's the best place that we found that has good Wi-Fi and, and enough True. seating and enough plugs to plug your laptop in if you need to. <laughs> that's, that was one of the challenges we found mm. actually is, is finding somewhere where the, the plug sockets are. You know, they've got those floor sockets where you can you can mm -hmm, right um but i've i've also identified a co-working space which is set within a park in southampton which is the city mm. where i live um in a converted chapel it looks like a really cool space actually mm, i'd love and to I'd go there walk up there <laughs> and then at lunchtime i could go for a walk around the park so yeah that it's something that i've thought about i have to mm. say but yeah. equally i've also invested in my standing desk and Mm. and I prefer working with my big monitor you know <laughs> yes I've heard that a lot <laughs> I actually have it but I don't use it 
I need to get mm. used to it. I'm so used to the laptop that I don't, don't bring myself to use yeah, it. Yeah, I've never got used to using a laptop. That, that's <laughs> my main challenge with co-working is mm -hmm. that I have to do it on a laptop and I'm not exactly. used to it. Exactly. Because as soon as I started translating, even the, um, the voluntary work I did, I immediately went out and bought a monitor, a 27-inch <laughs> monitor. Because I thought, there's no way I can... My eyes are getting old. I need a big screen. <laughs> But um, yeah, this this laptop that I have is quite small. I'm I'm in the market for one at the moment, so I'll get it. Oh yes, same here. <laughs> yeah, so I understand. <laughs> so what about the future? It seems to me like the future, the immediate future. We cannot really talk about ten years or whatever. But it seems to me that you feel very happy with your choices, uh, and especially this choice of becoming a freelancer and dedicating yourself to language work and translation in particular in your case, even if I think that um, with time, I believe that you're going to add maybe other services. I'm sure we can discuss that. <laughs> Uh, because that's what happens when you work in the industry, uh, especially these days. Clients have so many needs that have to do with all of their platforms and the way that they need to communicate that sometimes just jobs we didn't expect just come our way mm -hmm. and then we have to research and invest uh, in knowledge and equipment and then things just expand from there. So since you are so, so happy with being a translator and I guess a freelancer is part of it, um, so you don't have any plans to stop doing this anytime soon? No. No, I want to make, I absolutely want to make this work. And I believe that freelance translation is definitely something I can see myself doing even, you know, into retirement because, you know, you could, you don't have to accept all the jobs and keep going full time. It's something you could do part time eventually. And it's something I enjoy doing. So, yes, I, I don't plan any further career changes. Um, talking about services, I, I already offer, um, copyright English copywriting mm -hmm. and content writing services so there's that um I've done a voiceover course that's something that I'm potentially interested in <laughs> yes. but I would need to then invest in all of the, the soundproofing or a, a suitable space to record in mm -hmm. um and really just keep an open mind to what comes along um yeah I'm I'm not I don't have a fixed idea but I mm. do want to carry on with translation I really enjoy the process of translation I don't yeah. I don't think that I would want to have an agency because that would move me away from actually translating yes um but I would like to perhaps work collaboratively and find you know um colleagues to work with on a regular basis for direct yeah. clients so maybe right it's like a collective of yep translators working mm -hmm. together supporting each other revising each other's work um and covering when people are on holiday and things mm -hmm. like that yeah, yeah. So, but yeah translation i love it and i'd like to carry on with it maybe change my um client base to balance it out with some more direct clients mm -hmm. um versus agencies i have i have mostly agencies and some direct at the moment so i'd like to balance that yeah, that seems to be the case for most people. And a lot of people only work with agencies, so they never actually have direct clients. It depends on so many things that we could discuss one day. <laughs> but Absolutely. yeah, that's, that's it's totally what's right for, for every, everyone must do what's right for them. And, and there are lots of advantages to working for an agency. Yeah, that's true. They, they do a lot of stuff 
Yep. You don't have to do that stuff, you know? Yes, it sometimes yeah. it's not acknowledged, uh, everything that is uh, entailed in, in actually managing a translation project. So, yes, I'm sure I'm going to be talking about that soon. I'm sure. <laughs> because, you know, that is one of my passions to talk about what goes on in the language business from the business perspective. So I'm sure something will come up one of these days about that. So I'm really, really happy to have the chance to talk to you because like I say, I have been stalking you now for, <laughs> uh, for some time. And so I usually read your posts and, you know, try to interact because you are amazing. You have uh, amazing posts. Your aesthetics is very distinct. Uh, you use your carousels that I really enjoy. <laughs> And uh, it's amazing. I love your little presentation video in your LinkedIn page uh, in French. Uh, so that is really good. It's a great touch. And I, I think I'm going to copy it. Not in French, I have to say. Uh, my French is more of a, a passive working language than an mm. active uh, working language because yes. it's relevant for my terminology work, for example. But um, I guess you are one to watch because it's just amazing to see you evolve and I love what you do. You seem very low profile. It seems like you don't think too much about what you do. But the truth is that I'm sure I'm not the only one who is a, a faithful follower. So <laughs> thank you sure, so like much. Like you have a legion of followers because it's totally worth it. I mean, I saw you for the first time and I just kept going and you're one of my people from every day. So congratulations. And I'm really happy to see that you're happy with your decisions because that's very important in any business and especially ours where sometimes people feel a little bit like the world is being unfair to them. So I'm really happy that you're happy and uh, calm, relaxed, and just going on with your work and having positive vibes and perspectives for the future. So thank you so much. And well, thank you very much. That's through. very kind what you've just said. I mean, I might I might give the impression of being calm, but you know, like <laughs> you're just pretending. <laughs> not pretending, but sometimes you know. It's like the swan who's gliding along, but under yeah. the surface, there's yeah. a lot of flapping around. <laughs> and yeah, and I, you know, I don't present everything on LinkedIn that, that mm. I'm going through. Um, I, I, I leave that for other social media channels. But um, but yeah, I'm glad that you enjoy my content. I, I enjoy creating sure. it. So it's really great <laughs> that people are enjoying yeah, it. Yeah, it feels that way, I have to say. So <laughs> keep going. <laughs> I All right. So thank you very much. And that was Susie Withers for you. That sounds really good. And I'm glad I can pronounce it kind of okay. So <laughs> thank you for that. Thank you for your time and for sharing your experience and your joy with us. And it's been amazing. So I hope we can talk soon. And thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.